Greetings, brethren, all around the world. We pray that all of you, brethren, in Canada, Britain, Europe, Asia, Africa, and all over the world will have a wonderful feast. All of us, brethren, should pray fervently that Almighty God will pour out His Spirit on all of our feast sites and will truly encourage, strengthen, and inspire us all. Brethren, we are the continuation of the true church of God. Ever since Jesus Christ and His beloved Apostle John, the Apostle John, coming right down through Polycarp, Polycrates, right down through Peter Waldo, right down through Herbert W. Armstrong, who was my personal teacher, who baptized me, taught me, performed my marriage, and taught me a way of life more than any human being. The Church of God has continued. Since 31 A.D., God has always had a true church which has kept His commandments and His festivals. And we're here today because God tells us to do that in the Bible. He does not command Christmas or Easter, as I hope all of you know, and this may be the first feast for some of you. But remember, those words are not even mentioned in the inspired Bible. Easter is mentioned once, but it was a mistranslation. But God does talk about festivals we should be keeping, and one of them is the Feast of Tabernacles. So we are just pioneers. We're not the only ones keeping the feast, we know. But we in this church are the main pioneers carrying on the very work of God at the end of this age and doing this work and reaching the world with increasing power. In verse 16 now, turn to Zechariah 14, just talking about Christ's return as King of kings. It says then in verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Think about that. All the nations, every human being on this earth is going to join us. They're going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles undoubtedly within the next 20 or 30 years or less. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to keep the feet to Jerusalem to worship the King of hosts, the Lord of hosts, to them there shall be no rain. God will speak to them in language they will understand. They'll quit arguing against God's Sabbath. They'll quit arguing against God's holy days. They will obey God. They'll have no rain otherwise. And if the family of Egypt, the Arab peoples make fun of the Judaism, the Jewish ideas, if they won't come up and enter in, they shall have no rain and they shall receive the plague. So by the second year, God's going to pour out the plague on these nations with which the eternal strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all the nations. Think about that, brethren. Any of you who are new, read this carefully. Let it sink into your minds. He's saying that all the nations of this earth are going to keep the Feast of Tabernacles in a few years, or they will have no rain, and then they will have plagues if they continue in their rebellion. God wants us to keep His holy days, and it's a pattern to show the whole plan and purpose of God through these holy days. That's one reason we're here. God tells us to observe these days as part of His very plan. Brethren, my first Feast of Tabernacles was in the autumn of 1949 when I first came to Ambassador College as a 19-year-old boy. I heard Mr. Armstrong explain the entire purpose of life, the meaning of the festivals, all the basic things that seemed like we understood at that time because that man gave 17 solid sermons. He gave the sermon on the opening night 
And then we used to have sermons twice a day, every day through the feast at that time. And he gave them all. And we got a whole education as he read out of all passages in the Bible. He'd read out of even commentaries describing various prophecies in Daniel 11 and elsewhere. He'd read sections of the, the two Babylons, that book that explains all the problems about the holy days and how they came, the worldly holidays, I mean, and how they came right out of paganism. He gave us an education, 17 solid sermons. A little flock of only about 75 people was there, but they were dedicated. They were not just there for fun and games. They were there to worship the great God and learn the purpose of life. They'd heard that voice and greetings, friends, around the world. This is Herbert W. Armstrong, you know, and he'd tell about that as he gave the message of the world tomorrow around the whole nation at that time. You could start driving from L.A. east and you'd come towards San Antonio and you'd hear W.O.A.I. and you went further east and you'd hear other stations coming on. All across the United States, especially the south, people were hearing that voice night after night after night and they were there. They were excited and the attendance at the feast grew year by year, and the entire work grew year by year at about 30%. It was the Philadelphia era of the Church of God, and it grew and grew with great power. But why do we keep the Feast of Tabernacles? Well, again, as I've said, it helps teach us the great plan of Almighty God, our Creator, the plan that He is working out and His purpose. Turn with me to Leviticus 23 now. Leviticus 23, let's review this real briefly. Many of you know this, but many of you may not. We'll just get the highlights here. Leviticus 23, we turn there, even though by this time the sacrifices had been had added to the feast. They had been added to the weekly Sabbath, and every day of the year they had morning and evening sacrifices. And that sacrificial system, the book of Hebrews shows, had been done away, but not the spiritual law of God not God's Ten Commandments, just some of the sacrifices. But the reason we turn to Leviticus 23 is because it's the only chapter in the Bible, just in one chapter, where all seven of God's days are mentioned, God's holy days. In fact, all the holy days, including the weekly Sabbath. Notice Leviticus 23, verses 1 and 2. Speak to the children of Israel about the feast of the Lord. These are my holy convocations. Verse 3, six days shall work be done. Then he describes the weekly Sabbath day. The first of God's feasts is the weekly Sabbath. And then he says, these are the feasts of the eternal, and they are holy convocations. A convocation, brethren, means a commanded assembly. God doesn't send you an invitation to a tea party and tell you to, why oh, you let him know if you're coming or not. He tells you to be there. They're holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their appointed times or as the King James says, and the Hebrew reads better, they're seasons. They're based on the harvest seasons of Palestine because it describes God's spiritual harvest, the spiritual harvest that God is working out. And now he calls a smaller harvest at first, then a great big harvest at the time of the end. And then after that, we know from that last great day, a huge, awesome harvest at the very end of the age, after the millennium, when every human being will be given a chance that they've never had before. So he says in the 14th day of the first month, verse 5, at twilight is the Lord's Passover, the time that it describes the sacrifice of the Passover lamb, picturing Christ and his sacrifice, the first stage in God's plan. 
then on the same month as the Feast of Unleavened Bread on the 15th. And of course, that unleavened bread pictures us coming out of sin. Right after you accept Christ's sacrifice, pictured by the Passover, you grow in grace and in knowledge. You must come out of sin, and you must put leaven out of your lives, leaven being just a type of sin. And God reminds us of His purpose in telling us to do these things. Then He tells us over in the next several verses about how you count. You count 50 days from the Sabbath during the days of unleavened bread. And you come to the day, the uh, 50 days later, the 50th. And of course, uh, Pentecost literally means 50th. You come to the day of Pentecost. And he says in verse 15, You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. That's the weekly Sabbath during the days of unleavened bread. Seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So you count to the seventh Sabbath, and the day after that is the 50th day. Count 50 days to the day after the Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new green offering. That's the day of first fruits, picturing how God has a small harvest at the first. During this age, He's not trying to call everyone. It's the first fruits harvest, and this festival shows us that. And then the next thing He shows down here in verse uh, 24 Speak to the children of Israel in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you'll have a Sabbath of rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets. So you have the Feast of Trumpets showing how Christ comes during a time of trumpets. And trumpets was the alarm of war at the end of this age. And these last four festivals are all during the time of the end, all during the seventh month, the month of completion. Interesting how God uses numbers like this. Seven festivals, the seventh month. Seventh-day Sabbath, seven, you know, spirits of God, the seven church eras all through the Bible. That number seven is stamped all over things. So is the number 12, the number of organizational beginnings and so on. So the Feast of Trumpets comes next, showing there's going to be a great time of trouble and upheaval, world trouble and war at the time of the end. And we're entering that time right now, and we've got to be close to God. This world is going crazy. Most of you know that. They're coming out more and more with the idea that men and women are all the same. You can marry a man if you're a man. You marry the woman, you can marry another woman. All that kind of crazy stuff. It's a form of insanity. They're cutting themselves off from the very nature by which their God made them. They're cutting themselves off from the way that would work, the way that would bring happiness. They're destroying the family, and they're cutting themselves off from the Creator who told us what to do. They hate that God. Man resents a God who tells them what to do. The carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. God tells us that back in Romans 8, verse 7. That describes human nature. People don't want to do what God said. As Mr. Armstrong said, if God commanded us to keep Christmas, what would we do? We would not keep it. But he shows us we should not take a tree and decorate it and worship about it. So we do it anyway. The same thing with all these other pagan things. We do them, but we will not do what God said as a carnal people. We in the church of God are called out of this world. So we must do what God says and really brand that into your brain, brethren. We can be grateful God has given us that understanding. This world is blowing up. Our world will not be the same a few years from now. And most of you know that things are changing rapidly right now. So the Feast of Trumpets is coming, the actual fulfillment, a time of war and chaos. 
at the time of the end when Christ comes back at the last trump. Then in verse 27, he describes the 10th day of the seventh month, all in this final month of completion. The seventh month shall be a day of atonement, a time when man becomes one with God and Satan is banished. So the next thing is Christ comes back and then he has a great archangel cherub grab Satan and put him into the bottomless pit. We read in, in, in Leviticus or in, in Revelation chapter 20. That's the next thing to happen. And that will be taking and make man one with God once Satan is cut off. And there'll be no manner of work done as they afflict their souls and were to fast on that day to realize that awesome need. We've got to be closer to God. Long as Satan is here, we humble ourselves before God and we afflict our souls on that day. And he says in verse 31, there shall be no manner of work done and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. A day of solemn rest on the ninth month that evening from evening to evening you're to keep the Sabbath. That tells us how to keep any Sabbath day beginning on the evening before the actual day begins. That's the way God counts time. Then 34, verse 34, on the 15th day of the seventh month, is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's called the Feast of Booths because it pictures three things. It pictures the time when Israel was dwelling in booths and it helped remind us that we're strangers and pilgrims here on earth. We're not going to be in this society much longer. We're dwelling here in this physical tent. We're dwelling here temporarily and we keep this as a reminder of that, the Feast of Booths. And we go away from our home. We live in a temporary dwelling place for this eight days of the feast, at the Feast of Booths. Then it also reminds us, of course, of God's final plan here when it's called the Feast of Ingathering as well. And you read back, if you turn there, in Exodus 34, Exodus 34 and verse 22. Notice here, brethren, Exodus chapter 34 and verse 22. It says, You shall observe the Feast of Weeks, Sometimes it's called the Feast of Weeks. You count seven weeks. And then this is that festival uh, on verse 22. And then it says the Feast of Ingathering. So the next thing is the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Ingathering at year's end. So that's what it's called. It's depicting the great final harvest of souls when God gathers every human being and gives everyone alive an opportunity and then following through even bigger with the final last great day. It's the feast of end gathering when God will call the whole world. It's the harvest festival at the end of the summer gathering in the big harvest that God gathers in the big harvest at this time in the autumn of his plan. And then also you can find it called the feast of end gathering in Exodus 23 verse 16. I won't turn there, but turn to Exodus 23, verse 16. You'll see it's called there also the Feast of Ingathering. Notice now, brethren, Deuteronomy 14. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 14, if you would. And here's some very interesting instruction from God. And you should be familiar with it, but it's very inspiring. Deuteronomy 14, beginning in verse 22. You shall truly tithe... He's already told us about the first tithe is to go to the Levites to do God's work. But here he says, you'll truly tithe the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So a second tithe 
is not for yourself or not for the work I mean, not for the ministry. It's for each individual family to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, to have the money to go there and the money to eat special things and rejoice in this great harvest festival. You go to the place where God chooses to place His name and you eat the tithe of your grain and wine and that you may learn to fear the eternal your God. First of all, it teaches you to fear God. Have that deep sense that there is a very real God. We ought to know that as God begins to intervene more powerful in world affairs and these nations come down and this great powerful beast power in Europe comes up and the great false prophet comes out, performs false miracles. All things, kinds of things will begin to happen. There is a very real God. And as I've told you before, I've seen these prophecies fulfilled. I heard Mr. Armstrong back in Missouri talking about the fact that even when Germany was being pulverized with bombers by night and day, he said they will come back. They will become the leading nation of Europe. And brethren, they have. He said the Berlin Wall will come down and the Eastern European nations will become free. That's when there were thousands of Russian troops and tanks and guns there. He said that. He was the only one who said that. He knew those nations, some of them, Poland, Czechoslovakia, and Hungary and others were Catholic and had to be part of the final ten-nation power called the beast. That happened. No one else said that. He understood that because he was God's minister. He's the one that taught us about these very festivals. When people put him down, they're in a sense putting God down who inspired him and opened his mind to help us know the very things we're doing. We're to fear God, to learn to have that awe of God as we keep this festival, that God is very real and we must sense God's presence here, cry out for God's presence right here in this festival. But if the journey is too long, he said, you can take this money, turn this tithe of your goods and turn it into money and go to the feast and, and then buy those things that you need to rejoice. Spend that money for whatever your heart desires. Verse 26, for oxen, for sheep, in other words, you can have steaks and so on, for wine or similar drink, whatever your heart desires, as long as obviously you don't overdo it. God condemns drunkenness over and over. Don't do it that way. You shall eat there before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice. You're to rejoice before God and thank God, rejoice in His festival, worship God, sense that God is here in this festival and His Spirit is here and will be here if we cry out to Him more than ever. It's a very special time and God's eyes are upon this place where you're giving the peace right now in a special way. And I hope that you'll sense that and come to realize that more and more as you do your part, each one of you. Turn now to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy 16, I mean. Deuteronomy 16, and I want to begin reading here in verse 13. He says, You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days. So get the number of perfection or completion, seven days. When you've gathered in your threshing floor and your wine press, in other words, you've finished the harvest, it's a harvest festival, and you shall rejoice, you and your entire family, and the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, and the Levite, the ministers also to rejoice and be able to rejoice with you. You're to share your tithe with them. Seven days you'll keep the sacred feast of the eternal in the place which God has chosen. Why? Verse 15, because the Lord your God will bless you and all your produce, 
produce and in all the work of your hands so that you shall surely rejoice. You'd rejoice before the Creator who gives you these things. And we are to learn to rejoice, to worship God, to look up at the stars and the moon and to worship that and adore the great God is up there, to thank Him for life and breath, for food and clothing, for every good and every perfect gift. And brethren, I want to talk a little bit about you, that to with you now. We've all got to learn to worship God, perhaps beyond what we've ever done before, as we get closer to the end of our lives and the end of this age. God has got to become very, very real, and I hope He will become very real to every one of you. One of the men after David's own, God's own heart, we know, was King David of Israel. And God inspired him to say in a wonderful psalm back here in Psalm 104, turn there with me, Psalm 104, O Eternal, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions, the great and wide sea in which are innumerable teeming things, living things both great and small, there are the ships that sail, and there's that Leviathan. Some of those animals may have even been living when David wrote this song, Great Sea Creatures That May Have Perished Since Then, which you have made to play there. These all wait for you, that you may give them food in their new season. What you give them, they gather in. You open your hand, and they're filled with good. You hide your face, and they are troubled. You take away their breath, they die, and return to the dust. This great God has animals, in a sense, looking up to him, the little dogs and cats, the lions out in the, in the forest. They're waiting on God. They wait for the right time of day, the right season. They go out hunting. They're food from God. God guides all the creation. God guides us. God gives us, if we're obeying him, rain in due season. He's given us here in America, especially magnificent blessings, Wonderful blessings that because Abraham obeyed God and kept his commandments, and we know that, Genesis 26, verse 5, we have these blessings, and we better thank God for them while we can. He said, you hide your face and they're troubled. You take away their breath and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created, and you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord last forever. Think about God and the beautiful sun, the moon, the stars, everything around you, beautiful sunrise and sunset, gorgeous music, the beautiful baby of a little child, the little face of a little child. May the Lord rejoice in His works. He looks on the earth and it trembles. God shakes the earth. And my friends, God is going to shake the earth in the next few years more than ever before. Every mountain and every island will be shaken out of its place. You will know there's a real God. And hopefully the whole world will finally wake up and know that as well at that time. He looks on the earth, it trembles. He touches the hills and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live, David cried out. He loved and worshipped God. David sat out at night under the moon and the stars. He looked up, he saw the great creation. He came to know that God was there in a way beyond what perhaps some of us do. We tend to look at our computers and we play video games. We look at a little screen and we don't think about God. We don't walk outside and look up at the sun, look up at the moon and the stars and think that great God is the one that made this earth. That great God is the one that gives me food and clothing and my life, my breath, that gives me my beautiful wife, my beautiful little children, everything I have. And we must do that, brethren. We must worship and adore that great God who is the giver of every good and every perfect gift 
So God tells us this in David's psalm here in a sense. He says, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing my praise to my God while I have my being. While I'm alive and breath, breathing breath, I'm going to worship the God that gives me that breath, David is saying, and we ought to feel the same way. May my meditation be sweet to him. I will be glad in the eternal. May sinners be consumed from the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the eternal, O my soul. Hallelujah. Or praise the Lord. He concludes this psalm. The word hallelujah means that. Yah, praise to Yah, praise to God. That worship and adoration is what we ought to feel, brethren. And I hope each one of you will think about that during this festival and begin to cry out to God, to pray to Him. Let God be more real to you as you look at your brother or sister. Love them, help them, encourage them in a Christian way, of course. Let that love flow out to the other brethren in the church and help them begin to get that attitude. They're your brother, they're your sister. No matter what their race, their size, their background, their age, love them. And in the morning, get up each morning, brethren, and look out at the sky. If you can find a place to pray where you have a window, which I always try to find something, uh, even staying in someone's house. I remember staying in my son David's house out in Phoenix a few years ago. I found next door an empty room where a window was there where I could pray to God looking out that window up at the sky. Find a, wid- a window, find a place to pray where you're private and you can see the sky if you can. I had to begin my prayer life in the Mayfair basement. Mayfair was the student dormitory and every little room was full by the time I came to college. So I found a broom closet at the bottom of the stairs in Mayfair basement and I had to get down on my knees on the concrete. I put some newspapers but at least tried to picture God up there. In the morning, come before God. Before you do anything else, brethren, once you've washed your face or gone to the toilet and maybe you shave, you got awake. But don't let other things stop you. Get down and pray and cry out to God and worship your Creator and think about how He made you in His image. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He gives you life and breath. How He's teaching every one of us lessons for all eternity. He's working with us. He's fashioning us. He's molding us. He's making us like He is. He's sending Jesus to live within us. And we should meditate on all that and worship Him and thank Him for our lives, for our breath, for our loved ones, our family, our children, our friends, everything we have, every breath we breathe. Worship your Creator. Walk with God. Talk with God. Let God become more real to you even during this festival. Concentrate on that and ask God to make you very, very close to Him. Ask Him to pour out His Spirit upon us, pour out His Spirit upon all His church, and to bless His people and draw us closer to Him at this time. We must not rejoice and focus just on the physical things of good food and wine and want to go on rides if there's a carnival nearby or something like that. Our coming before God ought to be as it was in those early years back in 1949 and 50 and 51 at Belknap Springs in Oregon. We didn't have many physical things around. We just had a great big old log a log, log lodge, but it wasn't near as big as the hotel. And we all met there for services. And some of us lived in little cabins or tents or trailer houses. But the brethren from all over the world, the Hammer family from Texas, the David Robinson family from Texas, many came out from Arkansas all the way from the south to join us in Oregon to worship God. And the steam would rise off the little hot test pool there. It was Belknap Hot Springs. And we were there to worship the Creator. 
We couldn't go into town very often. It was way off. No restaurant nearby. We ate together. We worked together. We worshiped together. And we were there to learn the whole purpose of life. Try to do that during this festival. Concentrate on the spiritual things because the physical things are leaving. They won't be here that many long years longer when you really think about it. Turn back to Colossians chapter 3. This is the attitude we must have once we're really converted and in God's church. Colossians chapter 3. Almighty God inspired Paul to tell us, If then you were raised with Christ, in other words, if you've been baptized and you come up out of that watery grave, seek, what do you see? Just more steaks and wine and good times or going to some park, you know, resort park near where you are at the feast. And that's not the big thing. The young people do that. Not wrong for older people to do that too. Enjoy it in a right way if you make a family focus in it. But that's not the big thing. The big thing is that you are raised with Christ and you've come up out of that watery grave. Seek those things which are above. God is going to make you great spirit beings in his family in a few years. We'll be focusing on that later in this festival. We've got to understand that. He, we are to be made full sons of God where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Picture Christ there. He's your Savior. He's your merciful and faithful high priest sitting at God's right hand right now. Your coming king and ruler. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on those things during this festival more than ever. You're away from your normal work. Focus on that. Cry out to God. Do extra, extra prayer. I won't say extra Bible study. You should study but you'll get a lot of study as part of the sermons and going over your notes. But think about those things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. If you really meant it when you were baptized, when you were put down on that water grave, you come up to walk in newness of life. And so you died, the old self died, and now your life is God's life. It is not your life anymore. It is God's life. And you must let Christ, who is God, live that life in you through His Spirit. He says then, when Christ who is our life, that's to be our whole meaning of life, that Christ is in us, and we're going to become full sons of God just like Christ. When Christ who is our life appears, when He comes in person the second time in glory, and every mountain and every island is shaken out of its place, and great music and power comes down with Christ and the holy angels of God, when He appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's our future. So we've got to have this loving fellowship and worship and adoration of our God, our Father in heaven, of Jesus the Christ at His right hand, and the loving fellowship and kindness and warmth toward one another as potential sons of God. All of us part of God's family. All of us part of the true church of God. All of us here to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and worship our Creator. So brethren, let us fervently pray, meditate, study, and during this festival, really drink into the sermons. Take notes. Think about the meaning. Take time to worship and meditate on these things. And let us rejoice in God's tremendous plan that only this church understands and His love for every human being and for every one of us especially who are called at this time. Brethren, tonight, go home. Be careful. Drive carefully. Say your prayers. And have a good night's sleep. And we'll see you here tomorrow for the first full sermon. Good night.